All righty. If you could make your way back to your seat. We love the sound of interaction and fellowship like that, and we hate to cut that short. It excites us on a Wednesday night when people are here till 8 30, 9 o'clock, or after church when y'all not even leaving until 1 o'clock. It's good for us to see that. We need to love and care for each other. Tonight's our third night, and by now you have heard quite a bit of parenting talk in our church. I want to remind you that they're all available online. Matt McBroom preached on the stewardship of the family, and I preached a Sunday morning message on how God uses adults to shape kids. And then we we looked at uh, parenting in regards to time and time spent together and time management in the life of the young people underneath us. And last week we talked about discipline and training and uh, thinking through that from the scriptures. And tonight... Uh, we're going to look at two things, and uh, we're going to look at confidence in the life of young people underneath us, and then conversations that us parents need to be having. I've said it each time that we've been together, and I want to say it again, a few disclaimers. We do not want to teach on parenting in such a way that you feel bad for all that you aren't doing. I hope that has not been the case. We don't want to teach in such a way that we minimize parenting to a clean, simple list of do's and don'ts. Parenting is hard and complicated, and quite frankly, it takes the Lord's grace to do it. Another thing is that we are not the experts, by no means. We are not here to tell you all that we have done well, not at all. We are here to show you what God's Word says about parenting, to enter into a conversation, get our minds looking in that direction. These messages, we pray, are meant to encourage you in your responsibilities with your family, your kids, and your grandkids. God's Word is the key to life. It is our guide. It's the light upon this path. And God's Word is the wisdom that we all need in parenting. Number four, uh, we know that all homes and families are different. The context and the settings are different. Not everybody has a mom or a dad or both. Not everybody has parents or grandparents that are believers. Not everybody is working on the same playing field, and we understand that. For some, the church is all they're getting, and for some, the church is just a help in that. We understand that all the settings are different, okay? But we're coming to this subject because we recognize that there are lots and lots of families and children and teenagers and grandparents raising kids and parents trying to figure this out. We want to be good stewards with it. Each time we've been here, we've introduced some some books, and I'll do that again tonight. We don't have many to be able to sell tonight, and we apologize for that. If there are any that you uh, want to just jot down and order yourself, you can, or you want us to order them for you, we can do that. This one be be for a little bit older. I don't know if you've ever heard it before. It's called the Action Bible. It is big and long and thick and thorough, and it is a full comic book. You may not have seen this one before. Uh, At first, you would not want to take this seriously because it looks like it should not be taken seriously, but it's actually pretty good, and it's got good doctrine in it, and there are a lot of stories in here. This This one has way more in it than all the other kids' Bibles we've been showing you. The one that we keep hyping up, the Jesus Storybook Bible, is really, really good. And we've sold, I think now, about about 30 of those since we've been doing this. We just ordered a case of 20 more, and they were supposed to be here by today, but they're not. Uh, but the Jesus Storybook Bible is really good, but it's only got 48 stories in it. It is hardly the whole counsel of God. It's just really good to, thank you, to get you thinking through the scriptures being about Jesus. 
This, on the other hand, is very, very different. This is loaded. This has so much in it, okay? Um, if you have a, a kid that's into comics, this is good, okay? Now, this is a, this is a costly one. Well, it says only $25, but it's a hardback, really, really good one. If you've got somebody in your life that would read comics, we encourage you to get this one. Uh, this is a really good one, the Big Picture Story Bible. This has very, very few uh, Bible stories in it. This is just trying to tell you the whole story of the Bible. So um, it doesn't have a lot of chapters, okay? Um, but you would really like it. It's just giving you the big picture of what God's doing. I like this one a lot. You can see these are ours. We've had these for 15, 20 years now, and they are, they are worn out. This is a good one. 1999 for this one. Here's another one called the Gospel Story Bible, $29.99 for this one. Also a hardback. It's falling apart. And each section is only uh, a page. So there are a lot of stories in here. This one has 155 different Bible stories in it, okay? So a lot of different ones, and every single one of them on every page goes back to the gospel and goes back to Jesus. Really, really good. You can see the picture on the front is the stairway to heaven, right? Jacob's ladder, you've heard about that. So that comes from Genesis, and it's also found in John 1, and the ladder to get to heaven is Jesus. And so that's the illustration from that one right there, okay? This is a really, really good one, too. And then there's been a book that we've been showing you that has, I didn't even bring it tonight, that has the, the awesome illustrations in it. And this is where they've made a, a Bible out of it. So I told you that, that one wasn't, but you, you remember the one that looks like this? This one is loaded also uh, with lots and lots of Bible stories in it. Let me see how many there are here. Yeah, there are a lot in this one. This one has 104 different stories in it. Uh, you will like it a lot. It's got the, the law, the first five books. It's got a whole section on history, poetry, the prophets, the gospels, acts, and the, and the epistles, the letters, and then even the book of Revelation in here. So big, thick one, hardback, probably cost you a good $30, $40, but this is a good one too. And then we've got the others over there that we've been telling you about. There are so, so many good resources. If you can get yourself into the habit with your children of reading with them every single day from the time that they're one year old, you will cover so much ground, seriously. 365 days in a year. If you read the Bible with them every day, I mean, you're talking 2,000 Bible stories. Jesus ended by the time they're six. And if every one has the root of Jesus in it, okay? Um, and that's, that's not, I mean, let's just say that you skipped... One day a week, two days a week, you're still talking about a thousand stories by the time they're five. A thousand, right? And uh, there's so much structure to that in a home. If you learn, even if you put your kids to bed at six o'clock or seven o'clock, I know in, increasingly it's in common for more and more parents to put their kids to bed like super early. Um, no matter what your schedule is, get in the habit of doing that and you will see such a benefit from it, okay? And that's why we're showing you these, these to you. You can read one, then pull out the next one and just keep going with it, all right? Lots of good resources. If you have any questions about any of that, um, let us know, okay? All right, we are at Deuteronomy chapter six tonight. And um, this is a well-known passage. This is the one that's teaching us that we're to be teaching our kids 
Uh, in here you have the great commandment to love God. This is called the Shema from De- Deuteronomy 6, 4. But earlier, if you go up to verses, uh, verse 2 of Deuteronomy 6, you see there that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. And the Bible does this a lot where it talks from one generation to the next. You have this in the Old Testament a lot. You see this in the New Testament where Paul in 2 Timothy 2.2 points out four generations that Paul is to teach Timothy or Paul has taught Timothy and Timothy is to teach somebody else and that person is to teach somebody else. And in that one verse, 2 Timothy 2.2, you've got four generations in play. And the believer is supposed to kind of live and feel with the responsibility of, I'm, I'm supposed to pass this on. It's an unfortunate thing when, when people don't think that way. I want to show you something real quickly. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2. just want you to see this, and just reading it will cause you to feel it. First Samuel chapter two, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli, now he was a priest. He was supposedly a very religious man. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And it's just stopping there for a moment and thinking through that has all of us going, I don't want your case for me. Now, salvation is the hands of the Lord. It's not on you to make sure that your kids are saved. God does the saving. We know that. I don't want to pressure you. I already gave you all those disclaimers. But I do want you to feel the massive responsibility that you are to teach your kids and love your kids and point your kids to Christ and raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord and train them up in the way that they should go and feel how ugly it sounds when they aren't, like 1 Samuel 2.12. Jump over to verse 22 in 1 Samuel 2. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. You can just kind of feel how bad this is, that Eli's sons are rebelling against God. Turn the page over to chapter 3. Look at verse 13 of chapter 3. This is God's message now to Eli. 3.13, And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. We see here that parenting is a big and heavy topic, and that's why we're addressing it. And we see that the Bible teaches us that we are to care about one generation to the next. We are to want 
the people underneath us to know the Lord and walk with him. We're wanting to live lives that shine his light and rest in his love and experience the forgiveness. We preach this morning that Jesus is the overcomer and we want the next generation to live in the overcoming power that Christ has. So tonight we're gonna talk about two subjects under this umbrella. The first is confidence. It is the responsibility of mom and dad to create confidence in their children. A lot of times parenting doesn't go in the direction of confidence and I'm, not, I'm, I'm really not sure why. We are seeing these days kids everywhere that are insecure. Things like shake your hand or look you in the eye or say yes or even just have a conversation or raise their hand to ask a question are fewer and fewer and fewer. There are more and more kids that won't speak up when they should, won't volunteer when they need to, and all of that can be summarized by, in a lot of ways, but in a simple way, is they are lacking confidence. I think parents need to be more concerned about this, and they need to labor to have confidence built up in their kids. Now, before this turns into a motivational speech and a pep talk of how you need to make your kids awesome, that is not what this is. We need to be reminded of what the gospel is, that Jesus forgives us of our sins and we are to find our lives in him. We read this morning from John 1 that Jesus is the life and the light. We've already talked about how real parenting is to be uh, shepherding the child's heart. We're to care about what's going on on the inside of them more than what's going on on the outside of them. We want our kids to be confident. We want our kids to be confident. We want them to have confidence. All right? I want to share two Bible verses with you to help you think about this. The first is Philippians 3.3. Okay? You don't have to turn there for this, but just listen. Philippians 3.3, when Paul is preaching the gospel and talking about the only thing that's is salvation through Christ, he says there, we put no confidence in the flesh. Worldly parenting puts all the confidence in the flesh. You want your kids to look the best and act the best and make the best grades and do all of those things. It's not Christian parenting. Don't fall into that trap. That's not what we're doing here. We're trying to raise soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're trying to raise men and women of conviction that believe the truth. We don't put confidence in the flesh. We don't care who's the best looking or who's got the best teeth or you know, those sorts of things. It may be a priority in your family, but it's not the biggest priority. Don't get me wrong. We want them to comb their hair and dress nice when they're supposed to dress nice. Don't get me wrong. We're not raising bums, but we're concerned about the gospel. And the Bible teaches us to not put confidence in the flesh when we're talking about our true identity. Not only does Philippians 3.3 say don't put any confidence in the flesh, but we have lots of other passages that teach that the Lord will be your confidence. I've used Proverbs 3 multiple times already in our parenting talk. Proverbs 3 is a big one to our family. We have the entire chapter of Proverbs 3 on a poster this big in our stairway. Every time you walk down, you have to deal with Proverbs 3 right there. And verse 26 of Proverbs 3 says, the Lord will be your confidence. So what I'm talking about here is that we need to see ourselves in light of God and his promises. 
Children need to grow up having their identity in God and His truth. It's not easy. This takes the Bible. This takes prayer. This takes love. This takes good surrounding. In many ways, this takes a church. And the, the biggest part of all, this takes Jesus. The world and our fallen nature is designed to find ourselves, to view ourselves in light of what we do. That's the way the world's designed. And yet the Bible teaches us that's not the way it's supposed to be. God should define us, not us defining us. Once we get this kind of going, then confidence comes out in us. Think about each and every one of you. Your insecurities become less when you find yourself in Christ. And we know all of these kids that are insecure and struggling with that. Children don't know who they are. They don't know whose they are. They don't know what they are or what they should be doing. And the most of what they do is they look around at other kids their age and try to be like that. That's the farthest thing from being shaped by God's promises. And the result is that they don't have confidence. So I want to give you two warnings then in, in, in this conversation of confidence with your kids. The first is we've got to teach our kids to not compare themselves to others. It is a beautiful truth from Scripture that God makes us and makes every one of us unique. If you're not tall and you just want to be tall so bad, you're going to constantly be disappointed. It's the truth. If you're not fast and you want to be fast so much because there's a fast kid around, right? You're disappointed all the time. And the Bible teaches us to understand ourselves in light of who God is. We can't compare ourselves to others. This happens, it does happen. But we got to work against that. We got to warn, I want this to be a warning to us that we cannot let our kids be living off the comparison game. And we can't do that either in our parenting. Why don't you act like that? Or those kids do that? You know, that sort of a thing is not the way it's supposed to go. Along those lines, the second warning then would be performance based parenting. And there's so much of this. There's a kid on my, my ball team a couple years ago. That the whole year never made a basket. She can't make a basket. And the whole year she didn't make a basket. And that happens sometimes in youth sports. It's not that uncommon. And one day she's, she's sitting on the bench upset, even to tears, saying, my parents told me they'd give me a hundred bucks if I scored a basket. Well, she didn't score a basket. And it's hard to score a basket. And I'm sitting here wondering, like, why would they have that conversation with her? That sort of a thing, if you do this and do that, then I'll let you go do this. Or if you do this and if you do that, then I'll let you do that. It just set, it's just constantly setting you up for failure and disappointment. And if ever you did reach the bar and score a basket, right, or if ever they did do that and clean up their room just to get it, all it's doing is continuing the next time they clean their room. They're only going to do it to get the reward. And as soon as they wake up to the reality that the reward isn't that great, then they're going to stop doing it. Performance-based confidence isn't a real confidence. 
in a very similar way, going back to training and discipline. I remember, I remember it very well when I got old enough to realize that my mom giving me a spanking didn't hurt me anymore. There was a time where I was little and my mom spanked me, hurt me a lot. And once you realize that, I don't remember how old I was, but I remember being able to just walk over and just say, okay, I'm moving on. And, and at that moment, mom and me both realized that something's got to change because there's no consequence there. Whatever. Let's say I back toss. There's no, there's no consequence to that. And all of that falls under the performance-based stuff. It's not creating the heart and the identity that we want. I want to warn you to not do the comparison game. And I want to warn you to not do the performance-based parenting. Life, y'all under God is not performance-based. As I said this morning, Jesus is not able to be overcome, but we are able to be overcome. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all disobeyed God in certain ways. You will never, ever, ever earn anything before God. And your children won't either. Why would you enter them into a performance-based life? Don't do that. Let them know about grace and love. Teach them that you love them when they underperform. You love them when they fail. You love them when their grades aren't where they're supposed to be. You love them when they get in. You love them when they backtalk. You love them when they sin. And then you gotta work through it. The Bible teaches us that God loves us while we were yet sinners. And he sent Christ to die for us. The good news of the gospel is you will never perform enough to be loved by God, but you don't have to. He loves you anyway based off Christ. You get to live for God because what Christ has done. In believing that you are set free, there's not a yoke around your neck, the burden has been removed, and now you just live freely for God. And when we sin, we rest in the grace and mercy of God that he forgives us of our sins. We are supposed to parent like that, not performance-based. To encourage, those are the two warnings. Well, then, two encouragements then to, to create some confidence in our children would be this learn to build them up. Learn to build them up. Learn to learn to write a love. As that even in shortcomings and even in disappointments and even in failures, there's a lot of love that can be said. Learn to show grace and learn to show mercy. Learn that for every one critique there needs to be, there needs to be 10, 20, 50 positives of what's going on. I learned a long time ago that kids don't have a lot of compliments and encouragements in their lives. It's pretty common to hear kids say, I'm just a failure, I'm not good at anything. You've heard kids say that before. And whether you realize it or not, so much of that is because of the comments that they hear. We have an organization at the elementary school called All Pro Dad. And it's very basic. It's come and have breakfast with your kids. I, I love being a part of it. There's some 20, 25 dads that come to that. And every meeting, here's how it has to start. My name's Josh. These are my two kids here, Carolina and Liliana. And I am proud of them because... And the adults in the room have to, have to do that. 
It's really a sweet time to hear dads coming up with ways that they're proud of them. Man, they, they were, we've been working on riding a bike, and we spent weeks and weeks riding a bike. They can ride their bike now. I'm just so proud of them for that. They've been struggling with reading, and we work on reading every night, and I'm just so proud of them for that. He, he tried out for the school team and got cut last year, but he made it this year, and I'm so proud of him for that. We just had a new baby, and it's stressful in our house, and we've been asking he or she to do all types of chores to help us out and fold blankets and put away groceries and she helps all the time. And I'm just so proud of them for that. And when you hear that, it becomes like, man, this is awesome hearing them brag on, on their kids. Doesn't happen. But it becomes real obvious too that that doesn't happen a whole lot. Doesn't happen in homes that much, bragging on your kid. You know what happens quite a bit of time? And you can ask some of the dads that, 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 that go and we've got several in our church. There are handfuls of times when they are prompted, even in a program, in a very, very laid-back setting where the dad can't do it. Oh, man, this is him. I just, uh, oh, he's just such a knucklehead, and I love him, though. And he can't, say, he can't brag on his kid. It happens every week. And if that's the best he can do, imagine how negative it is. This happens a lot. Kids need to be built up. Just like you are to find your identity in Christ and you are to be so sure that God loves you. And yes, we could come here tonight and say, yeah, but you're rude sometimes and you're lazy sometimes and you lie sometimes and you, you, you fall short of God's way sometimes. And we all do, right? We still know that God loves us and Christ died for us. In our parenting, our kids are to know I'm not perfect, I do sin, I disobeyed my parents again this week and today, and sometimes I do this, and sometimes I forget to clean my room and forget to put my shoes up, and I didn't help with the dishes after my dad told me to help with the dishes and all that, but I know that my dad's not mad at me, he loves me, and I'm his, and I know that I need to get back right with that, and, and you learn to create confidence in them, even in their disobedience, because they're being built up. It's important for us as parents to have that perspective that comes from the way God views us. That's the first encouragement, build them up. The second one, and again, I want to be careful from this becoming like works-based or becoming a motivational speech, but we have to learn to let them struggle. In parenting, we have to learn to let them fail. This is a part of life. The Bible teaches us this. We sin, we mess up, we go to God, we ask him for forgiveness, our identity is in him, and we keep going, and we've sinned again in life. That's, that's your story, that's my story, right? Well, how many times have you heard us pre-run here that we, when we fail, we don't run from God and hide, we run to God? And so it should be in our parenting that even in their struggles, they don't run away from us, they run to us. Knowing that we see, knowing that we understand, but knowing that's for their good. It's unbelievable how just watching kids play on a playground. Watch kids play on a playground. You'll see one kid fall, Bloody his knee, dirt in his face, hop back up and keep running. You see one kid fall, bloody his knee, dirt in his face, 
And it's about to be a fiasco. They're going to need two or three adults to go into the bathroom and clean the whole thing up. It's okay to fall and struggle and learn to get back up and realize that's a part of life. This is a reality. Adversity is good for you. Two warnings, comparison to others and performance-based. We don't want to be that way. Two encouragements, build them up, let them fail, let them struggle, knowing then that we're going to talk them through it. When we are creating confidence in our kids, we are teaching them to see themselves in light of God, in light of God and his promises, in light of God and his truth. We want them to know that their identity is in Christ. We want them to know from the outset that they don't have to be perfect, that they can't live up to the standard, that they are in many ways those that fall short just like us. We want them to know that they've already failed, that they're not going to be perfect. They don't have to be perfect to keep us happy. We want them to know that their identity is in Christ. Some of y'all remember the, the, the way the Sermon on the Mount ends with Matthew chapter 7 and Jesus giving the illustration of the life that's built on the rock and the storms come and it withstands the storms or the life that's built on the sand and the storms come and it can't. Jesus. Children's lives and therefore their confidence to be built on the rock that is Jesus and his promises, knowing that the storms of life are going to come but they will be confident through it because they are in Christ. It is true that God has made every one of us unique. We don't want a bunch of the same kid running around. In your household with one, two, three, four, however many kids you have, you don't want them to all be the same. You love, you love their differences. One of the coolest things to me in Valeria is how different J.J., Eli, Noah, Carolina, and Liliana are. They are so different. We're thankful that God has made them that way. We don't want Eli to be like JJ or JJ to be like Noah or Carolina to be like Liliana. We don't want them even comparing themselves to each other. We don't want them trying to be like each other. We want them to understand that God made them, made them the way that they are. They're not perfect. They sin. They fail. They mess up. They disobey us. They disobey y'all. They, they make mistakes. We want them to know that and know that they are still loved in Christ. And because of that, God will start creating some confidence. So in order for that to, uh, seeing yourself in light of Christ and the promises of God, um, that means that as we let them fail, we let them struggle, and we also build them up. That means there's a lot of influence, a lot of time spent, the things we've already been talking about, a lot of training, a lot of talking through, a lot of correction. All the things that we've been talking about in the life of a child being led by parents will create confidence. It's not the first time you've messed up. Get over it. Don't be embarrassed. Everybody makes mistakes, and we create this confidence, which means that there's times when they need to be pushed. Just recently, I had a son that was trying out for a, a really, really big team, nervous about it. We still haven't heard whether he's going to make the team or not. Trying out in a very, very, very uh, stressful, intense, and kind of awkward way. And we walk up there, and there's literally hundreds of kids here for this thing. And 
We introduce ourselves to the coach, and he says, yeah, well, I'm, I'm the one that's kind of over it, but he's not the coach that's in charge. You see that guy way, 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 way over there, like three fields over, wearing the black hat. You see him? That's the guy you need to talk to. I said, okay, thanks, man. We'll go over there. And he stopped me. It's the first time I'd ever seen them. He stopped me, and he said, where are you going, Dad? He can go over there and introduce himself. I'm like, in my mind, I'm going, you mean navigate three fields over and walk through 100 kids as a little boy and get all the way over there and introduce himself to the coach and say, hey, I'm here to try out to try to make this team as intimidating as that is, is what I'm thinking. He said, yeah, he's got it. And in his mind, he's probably thinking, if your little boy right here can't even go introduce himself, then what makes you think he's going to go out there and play against guys that are bigger and tougher than him and hold his own? So in that moment, I said, go get him, bud. And I just stood there. But it's an example of they need to be pushed. Well, guess what? He went. He did it. It was fine. All is well. But it took a push to get there. Those types of things create confidence. I was praying here with one of my sons on Friday night. I told you all that we just went back and forth praying the whole time. Well, the people that were coming out after us showed up early. And I said, hey, glad that y'all are here. Y'all come on in. We're still finishing up. We got about 15 minutes left. Come on in. And the first thing that my son did was go, am I, am I still praying too? Because he prays out loud in front of me. But now we've got two elderly ladies here. Y'all can totally picture it, right? And he says, am I, am I still praying too? I said, yeah. I said, all right, y'all, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to go. And then I'm going to pass it off to him. And he's going to pray. And then he'll come back to me. And that'll probably be about 15 minutes. And we went, and it was awesome. That took 15 minutes. I bet he prayed for a good five to seven minutes out loud on his own in front of them. When we got, when we got finished and I, I wrapped it all up and it was time for us to go, and we left those ladies there, they spoke up and they said something to the effect of, wow, don't, don't know if I've seen a teenage boy pray out loud like that before. Well, that, that doesn't come easy or natural or whatever. You have to be put in that position, encouraged to do it. There have been, honestly, countless times where we have to talk through there's not a right or wrong way to pray. You're not going to mess up. God understands whatever you say. And there have been countless times where the prayer has been, God, help us through this. We love you. Amen. That's happened so many times. You work and you grow and you work and you grow and you affirm them in that. And there's sometimes, I wish y'all could hear Val talk to them on how to pray out loud. There's times where Val will say, Val will say, all right, now listen, that was great. Love that prayer. God understands good. But we had just talked about this and we just read this scripture. So when you pray, include that in it too. You're, you're, you're praying in front of a people and they're gonna hear that and you want them to benefit from it. They started an FCA over, FCA over at Fairdale Elementary School and we're thankful for that. We didn't have that. Kyle Pomeroy's doing great work making that happen. And the teacher there, Ms. Truman, is now creating a leadership group out of just elementary kids. And she, she asked one of ours to be on that leadership, and I didn't even know it. And just on Thursday, going to FCA, they tell me, I didn't even know this, they tell me, yeah, I'm leading today. Has to do all the opening words and all the welcome and read the opening scripture and do the opening prayer. Of course, there were nerves about that, and I remember Val saying, you can do it. You can do it. Somebody's got to do this. You can do it. And we get an email from the teacher saying, wow, that was awesome. That was so good. Love, love hearing them pray. 
It doesn't come easy, it doesn't come natural, but it comes with a push and you get there and as you work through that, the way the gospel teaches us to view ourselves, hey, none of us in here are good at living for God. None of us here, but we are to go out and live for God. None of us here think, I am so Christian and so good at it that I'm just gonna go out here and do what I do and people are gonna fall in love with Jesus because of me. None of us think that way about ourselves. None of us feel that way about ourselves. But we are gonna go out here in the confidence that the Lord gives us and seek to live for him. And in parenting, we want the same thing to be happening. Viewing ourselves in light of the gospel so that our kids would be confident. It's a beautiful thing when a short kid is proud to be short and living for Jesus. It's a beautiful thing when a quiet kid understands, I don't have the biggest personality, I'm not the most outgoing person, but this is the way God made me and I'm gonna live that way for Jesus. It's a beautiful thing when somebody says, hey, I'm not that good at talking or I'm not the best student in school, but I'm a loyal friend and I'm gonna be who I am for Jesus. This creates confidence for us to be who we're supposed to be for Jesus's sake. I hope that's uh, enough to get you thinking about having confidence in our kids, that we would be praying that our kids would not be insecure, uh, overly so, but that we would be laboring to not put them in the comparison game. Don't compare your kids to other kids. That we would be laboring to not make it performance-based. May they know you are proud of them that you would be building them up, teaching them, even with correction, lots of building up, lots of building up, lots of building up, that you would let them struggle, push them through adversity of God, let them fail, and then talk them through every bit of it. By the grace of God, with an identity in Christ, may God give us confident kids. I don't mean cocky by any means. I mean confident in the Lord, like Proverbs 3 says. Okay, well, in order for this to be happening, and this leads us to the second topic that I want us to look at tonight, there has to be a lot of conversations. Look back to Deuteronomy 6, a lot of conversations. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Notice that the Bible says here in Deuteronomy 6-7 that you are to be talking with your children a lot about God and his ways. That's just what it says. It does. I mean, it, it does. It just says that. You are to be talking with your children a lot about God and his ways. It's just what the Bible says. And there's sometimes, I make this point all the time in men's and women's Bible study, that there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that needs somebody to dig deep and read a book on and get a commentary and try to understand it. There are some things like that in the Bible, but there's a lot of things in the Bible that we don't need a teacher, we don't need a preacher, we don't need a sermon. It says what it says and it means what it means and let's leave it at that. And if you're here tonight going, man, I really want my kids to be this, but we never talk about God in that way or at that time or whatever, then, then, hey, you don't need a preacher or a pastor or a Sunday school class or anything else. You just need to start taking seriously this. 
We don't want to be harsh. I hope this is not harsh. But if the Bible says you shall teach your children when you sit in the house, you shall teach your children when you walk by the way, you shall teach your children when you lie down, and you should, shall teach your children when you rise. That's what we've got to be doing. Christ and his ways and his truth have to be so important to us that they are coming out of us at all of those different stops. That's just the truth, which means there need to be a lot of conversations, okay? Now, I love pointing out these verses, and if you haven't seen all of this, and let, let me show you again. Look with me at Exodus 13, two quick verses. Exodus 13, 8. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. I want to ask you, have there been conversations in your home and in your parenting, and if your kids are little, then just get ready for them, about all the things that the Lord has done for you? Do your kids know about how God convicted you of your sins? They know when you fell into to, to guilt, recognizing that you're a big sinner? Have you had conversations with them that you're not the standard and you're not as perfect as they think you are and you mess up, you fall short? Tell them about a time you've lied. Tell them about a time where you got angry. Tell them about a time where you got in a fight, where you said an insult to somebody that you regret. When they start asking questions about, tell me about when this has happened. Have you told them about when you got saved, when you got baptized, when you prayed to God? Have you told them about how you met your spouse and when you fell in love and how that happened? It was Valentine's this week, and every year in Valentine's, I take my girls out on, on a little date, and they're growing up, and so I, this time I just started to talk to them a little bit about, hey, boys like girls. And sooner than later, boys are going to start, start liking y'all. And we've got standards. We just start talking through that. Just talking about it. Say, hey, there was a time when mama didn't have a boyfriend. Get them thinking about that. There was a time when mom didn't have a boyfriend. Think about that. And I came into the picture and how did I get her to say yes? And what made her want to say yes? And I tried to bring that up to Val, and Val shut it down real quick. Like, no, and don't you play hard to get for a long time. That's what Val was saying. Don't you dare give in, and don't you give in quick. But my point is that it takes a lot of conversation. Stay there at Exodus 13, and look over to verse 14. When in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? Wow. Parents, moms and dads and grandfathers and grandmothers, I hope and I pray that you will create such a relationship in your home that your parents, your children will ask you often, tell me what this means in light of God. Why do we do this? Why is this happening? What's going on here? Why do I feel this way? What's happening in me? Why, why, why is life so hard? and that you would be able to sit down somewhere by their bed, on the couch, in the car, and you'd be able to talk to them about all that the Lord is doing. This is what we want to do, but it takes a lot of conversations. Flip over with me all the way to Ephesians 6. 
We would be amiss if we're covering this topic and you haven't seen Ephesians 6, 4. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dads, we need to hear tonight that we are not creating confidence in our kids if we are angering them. It it shouldn't even be a conversation, but it is. There are a lot of angry kids. There are a lot of raging kids. There are a lot of kids with built-up anger and frustration. And this doesn't tell us how the dads do that, but it seems to be saying that there is such a way that dads can be. One big one that's going to come up in every home is how comfortable life is these days. And the further you go back, it wasn't very comfortable. My dad was working full time as a teenager. Everything. My dad was buying a house when he was like 18 years old. My dad's been good at everything he's done. That's all I've ever known. It's hard to live underneath that. It takes a loving dad to not put that on their kid and make them feel like a failure. My dad's been better at all of those kind of manly things than me his whole life. My dad called me this week to say, did you get that time and belt changed? All of those types of things. My dad had a house, owned a house at 19. I bought my first house at 41. And I had to call him a million times to understand it through the process. But I got a really good dad. And he's never made me feel like a failure through all of that. That happens through conversations, and it happens through love, and it happens, happens through trust. But Ephesians 6 is saying here that dads can make their kids angry. You don't want your child to be angry. You want your child to be confident because you've invested in him. You've spent time with him. You've talked to him about these things. After it says, do not provoke your children to anger, it says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. These are big words. We've already spoken about those. But this comes back to time spent, and this comes back to conversations. This comes back to explaining why we do what we do. This comes back to explaining what's wrong and what's right. This comes back to talking through failures and shortcomings. This comes back to building them up when they need to be built up. There need to be a lot of conversations if you're trying to disciple your kids. Discipleship is life on life. You're wanting them to follow Jesus the way you follow Jesus. And so there's a whole lot of things to talk about, right? There are. I just want to give you some practical examples here as we start wrapping up on conversations. A few things that, that we do that you, that you might find helpful is uh, we, without any like real structured uh, organization, we will do family meetings. Everybody, we're going to take room, phones put away, all screens put away, TVs off, okay? We're going to take as long as this takes for you to finally get over hurrying through it, right? Because a lot of times, like, okay, let's hurry up and get this over with. And so we're just going to sit here until you realize that's not happening, and then we can get into it, and then we talk about whatever. Sometimes it's like, okay, look, Saturday's going to be a really, really busy day, and so we need to do this. Everybody needs to be in the know about that. Sometimes it's, all right, church is about to start talking a lot about parenting. And we need to make sure that our family's all on the same page as we get into this. Sometimes it's, you boys are growing up. How we treat a lady's important. 
There's a lot of bad examples out there. But family meetings come about where everything is tuned out, distractions are minimized, and we just have to talk there. I want to encourage you to have family meetings. Don't be rigid with them. Sometimes they go short and sometimes they go long. Sometimes they're engaged and sometimes they're not. But have family meetings. Going along with that is that's not enough because people don't open up in a family meeting. Our family meeting seven people. That's a lot. I've got some kids that won't hardly speak up ever in the family meeting unless we tell them to. So one-on-ones are really important. This is why, and I said this at the first time with time, this is why I love car rides. People offer a lot to give our kids a ride or catch a ride to school or to catch a ride to ball practice, and as often as we can, we, we just say no to that because if we've got 15 minutes in the car together, that's a really, really good time. Let's just talk about this. Let's talk about what's going on. How are you feeling about this? What's happening at school? And we get into those things one-on-ones. I'll tell you another one, and I want to be careful with this, but I think that you'll find this helpful. We have been very, very, very intentional to have the full talk about sex before they encountered it on their own. I think we followed that pretty good. It's a little bit easier with boys than it is with girls. Um, but before they've started anything middle school, now they've heard about it, but not really, really thinking through it. Before they get into it, I, we want to have that conversation with them. So they are learning from us everything about that, okay? I know that's awkward. That be going to do that. I know most of you all say nobody ever did that with me, right? But I would encourage you to do that. Be proactive in it. Have that conversation. There's lots of little resources out there, but we use this one. It's called How You Are a Changing. The one that I had used before this was called How You Got to Be You. This is a small little book. I mean, I think this thing was like $6.99. It's really helpful. This goes through all the male body parts, all the female body parts, how it works, all the, all the, all the stuff. We do this before they care. We do this before they're interested. We do this before they're thinking about it. So that when it starts, they say, my mom and dad talked to me through that. And then each step of the way with lots of conversations, lots of conversations, we follow up on that. So that they're filtering all of the worldliness. They're filtering all the wrong thinking through it, through what we've said is right and through what God teaches us. I want to encourage you to do that. When you fall down and scrape your knee, you get a little scar on your knee, but usually within no time, the bleeding stops and that scar doesn't cut very deep. But you get involved in some sexual sin and those scars go really, really, really deep. You can really never escape those in some ways. You get caught with your clothes off with somebody or give in and do something with somebody that you wish you hadn't done, that will hurt you for a long, long time. The world is filled with people, churches are filled with people who regret some of the decisions that they make and we all sin and fall short. But if we will have those conversations early on, we will help our children be confident in the Lord, be confident that they're pure, be confident that they're a virgin, be confident that they're unlike everybody else, but this is pleasing to God. We can help our children if we will have those conversations. I want to encourage you to have many, many conversations with your kids and most importantly, these conversations will show that you have a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Things like, and that will overflow into your kids' lives. 
Things like walking with the Lord, things like conviction, repentance, forgiveness, believing in him, trusting in him, this matters. And as you talk about that with your kids, that you love Jesus, you follow him, you're looking to him, you're believing him, you're having to apply this to your life. Here's, a, here's something in your life that didn't go well today. Here's something in your life that took faith today. Here's, a, here's an opportunity the Lord brought into your life and you spoke into it to be a, be a witness. As this comes out through conversations, your kids will see that you are a follower of Jesus. In this pilgrim, little pilgrim's book that we um, we had a whole bunch of, and we've been selling these to you. Um, somebody pointed this out to me earlier. This morning I preached from John 1 on how Jesus is the overcomer. He's the light, and the darkness cannot overcome the light. And somebody pointed this out to me. It's fascinating. Listen to this. Hopeful said to Christian, the king is merciful. He will never abandon you. We will soon see the celestial city Remember how brave you've been so far? Apollyon couldn't crush you. The valley of the shadow of death didn't turn you away. With the king's help, you have overcome many difficulties. And you will overcome this one as well. Isn't it awesome to think that this little book right here goes exactly hand in hand with the gospel of Jesus being an overcomer. And the sermon from this morning that Jesus is the overcomer, and that when your identity is in Christ, you too become an overcomer because Christ is in you. Imagine if you went home to Napa, Norway, it's page 170. Imagine if you were with your kids, and you just happened to read this right here after they just heard a whole sermon with the kids listing page that Matt McBroom does such a great job with of providing a children resource for them to follow the sermon, and they just heard a 40-minute sermon on how they can be an overcomer through Christ and they cannot be an overcomer on their own because we said that. And then this little book that they're so engaged with and they love makes the same thing. Imagine how grateful you would be in that moment that God is using you as a parent through conversations to pour into them that the Holy Spirit would make them confident that they are in the Lord. This is the Lord's work but he will do it through us. We want parents to be encouraged. We want our kids to be confident. May you have lots and lots of good Jesus conversations with them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for confidence in conversations. God, we pray that tonight would be an encouragement to us. We pray, dear God, that we would really, really, really care about the young people and the kids in our lives. God, we do thank you for them. You have entrusted them to us. And we pray, dear God, that you would use us to help them know your love and your forgiveness through Christ. God, we pray that you would create confident kids through our homes. Not a worldly confidence, not a performance-based confidence, but an identity in Jesus confidence. God, we pray that there would be lots and lots of conversations. Help us with that. Help us to slow down enough. Help us to be committed to Christ in a real way so that we can have those conversations. God, bless the moms and the dads and the homes for our kids' sake, for your glory and saving work in them. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.